1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had kept his promises to the descendants of Israel. They had seen God's mighty hand take them out of their enslavement to Egypt. Moses was a great and mighty leader, but he died. God raised up a new leader, Joshua a man that would lead the nation of Israel into the conquest of the land of Canaan. God began to speak to Joshua, reminding him that it is time to get up and move forward into all that was promised. We continue to look at these promises as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3.
0: Well, he says, verse 3, Because every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And then he tells him, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea, the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun, that shall be your coast. That will be your territory. Now, if you do them look at these borders, that is a massive amount of land. It's an amount of land, in fact, that uh, Israel never experienced because of Israel's disobedience and unbelief. They never experienced these full boundaries. They never even got halfway to the Euphrates. I was looking at my Bible maps as I was studying this, and I thought, man, that's way farther out than I thought it was. There was such a big chunk of land that they never trusted God for. You know, by the end of Joshua... Every tribe had different groups that were still remaining, pockets of resistance because they fled to the hills or really fortified cities, whatever it might be. And the Lord told me, he says, listen. He goes, I have left them there for two reasons. Number one, I didn't want to drive them all out at once lest you couldn't actually take over the land properly and the wild beast would start consuming things. He said, but secondly, to test you, to see if you would remain obedient to me over time. And you know what? It's crazy because almost to a T, each of those tribes looked around and said, well, you know, we've got it pretty good. I mean, if we go up there and we fight them, I mean, they got iron chariots and they're in the hills and man, some people are gonna die. So let's just hold the ground we have and don't worry about them. The whole tribe of Dan, they they got land right next to the Philistines. And they were the fiercest of the remaining enemies that were there. And they basically said, we don't like the land you've given to us, God. And they migrated. The Philistines are down there in in Gaza. You know where that's at now. It's in the south. They migrated all the way up north by Mount Hebron. They said, we don't want as far away from those guys as possible. The land God gave to us wasn't good. We found our own better land up here. So many of them due to disobedience and unbelief, never experienced the full victory that God promised them. Now, that was God's promise to Israel, but God has given us promises too. See, even though Jesus finished the work for all that God wants for us, he finished it on the cross. You and I have to enter into it by faith, just like we entered into our salvation by faith, which means there is a real danger of missing out on all that God promises to you and me. Now, who wants that kind of life? Not me. (laughs) I don't want to be like, oh, no, no, this is good. I'm good here, you know. I'll have a little bit of freedom, you know, but, you know, we'll tolerate these, you know, compromises or we'll tolerate these areas of sin that get me down or I'll tolerate not having the best marriage or not having the best, you know, influence on my kid's life or serving the Lord or being the best witness. I mean, who sets out and says, I want to do that? Certainly not me. I don't think you do either. So what is God's promise here? Every place they put their foot is theirs. Let that resonate in your heart for just a minute. Every place that they put their foot is theirs. You know what I realized when I I just thought about that for a little bit? I realized that the enemy contests this promise every day in my life. Every single day. You know, he'll look at whether it's a, a parenting goal I have or a marriage goal I have or, or a ministry goal I have or, you know, sharing my faith goal I have. Whatever it is, I feel God tugging on my heart and I begin to want to give it to him. The enemy says to me, you can't take that ground. You won't, you won't. That's, you, I know you, you know you. That's not happening. You'll never take that ground. You will never experience Victory. What places does he say, you'll never experience victory in your life? They're probably different than mine. But I know it's there. Is it being a good parent? Is it being a good spouse? Is it freedom from lust or freedom from anxiety? Is it ever having real joy or contentment? Is it knowing that you're loved? Whatever the lie is, tonight is the night to arise. Tonight is the night to get up and say, no, I am not believing that lie anymore. As I follow Christ, I believe every place I set my foot is a place of victory because of what Jesus already accomplished on the cross. Amen? Amen. That's truth. You might be thinking, this is Joshua. Well, this is the Old Testament. That promise can't be true for me. God hasn't promised everywhere I put my foot will be mine. Oh, you're right. God hasn't promised you a physical land in the Middle East. But he's given you other precious promises. Turn to second Peter with me. This blew me away when I saw it. Second Peter, chapter one. So if you're familiar with the two letters that Peter writes, first Peter kind of deals with persecution, like the external problems that face us as Christians. But when he gets to Second Peter, he starts dealing with internal problems in the church, primarily false prophets, false teachers. And lies that the enemy allows to creep in that tries to get into the church and so before he starts dealing with the false prophets and dealing with the lies and uh you know correcting the false doctrine that they had been hearing he starts off by laying a foundation of truth for us and so he says in second peter chapter one verse one simon peter in other words identifying who's writing it a servant and an apostle of jesus christ and who's it to To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Those who have already been saved. You've understood the gospel. You've given your life to Christ. You've obtained his righteousness and traded in your sinfulness for that. You're clothed in his righteousness. The prodigals come home. You are right with God. And so to those, he says, you who are right with God, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. So He says, "Grace and peace be multiplied you, you know, to you through all the things we know about our Father and, and Jesus our Lord." Now, how is that grace and peace? multiplied to us. And as we get to know Christ, it says, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So he starts off this section, goes, you who are already saved, you you've already been clothed in the righteousness of God. He says, listen, I want you to experience God's grace and mercy and peace. I want it to be multiplied to you because his divine power has given us everything we need in life and everything we need to live a godly life as we get to know him better, the one who has called us to glory and virtue. Now through that knowledge, through his word, whereby, verse four, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Why? Here it is. That by these things you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Think about that for just a minute. We are saved. He wants grace and and peace to be multiplied to us because God's divine power is working in us as we get to know Christ better so that we have everything that pertains to life and godliness in order that we will escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now that we are in Christ, we have a promise from God that we can escape the corruption of the world that comes from its wicked desires. In other words, I don't have to be whatever it is that Satan says, that's just how you are. I don't have to stay the same. I don't have to look at anywhere that God is trying to change me or work in my life and say, I will never make it. I'm always going to be a failure. This will always be my struggle. This will just always be how it is. I don't have to believe that lie. Because through Christ and what he did for us on the cross, I can escape the corruption of the world. Now, he says, beside all this, in other words, how are we going to do that? So beside all this giving all diligence, add to your faith. So he says, you're saved, you started, you're there, you're at the faith point. He says, now, if you want to experience that, he says, you need to add to your faith, virtue. And then to virtue, knowledge. Then to knowledge, self-control. And then to self-control, endurance. And then to endurance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. The idea here is by going on in maturity as verses five through seven describe, we have a different life. Verse 8. For if these things, if you're going on to maturity, if these things are in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? How is that any different than what God told Joshua? Joshua. It's not different at all. No, I understand he's referring to a physical land for Joshua. But we know from the New Testament that the promised land refers to that abundant life we can have in Christ. Jesus said, I am come, you might have life, and that more abundantly. And the exhortation from here is Peter. He says, you can escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. You can abound unto these things, and you won't be barren nor unfruitful as you get to know Christ better. Doesn't that sound good? Everything that pertains to how to do this life, and how to live godly, it's already ours. The only way we miss out on this is by being short-sighted, by forgetting what Jesus did for us. Look at verse 9. But he that lacks these things is blind, he cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. The only way we can miss out on this is by listening to the lies of the enemy, by not getting up, by not getting up. Here's the reality, guys, and this is what the enemy knows. He knows if he can keep you wallowing in your defeat, wallowing in your self-pity, wallowing in your concept, I'll never make it, you won't get up and you'll never experience that victory. If he can keep you there. So what do you think he focuses on? Keeping you there, keeping you from getting up, keeping you from taking that first step of faith to trust that God is true and every man is a liar. Now, you think, how is this possible? I mean, I know who I am. I know where my weaknesses lie. I am pretty convinced that that's not true, that I will probably be barren and unfruitful. I will probably be affected. I won't be able to escape the corruption that's in the world. I know who I am. So what amazing thing has Jesus done for us that, for me, that would make this possible. We'll turn over to Ephesians 1. Now, if you're at the pastor's conference, I will apologize for going over this material again, but I think it's pertinent to what we're discussing. If Joshua were to look at Israel and all of its abilities and inabilities, I'm pretty sure he would have never crossed the Jordan. (laughs) Like if his eyes were solely on that. But the Lord will tell him in this chapter, be strong, be courageous, be in my word, don't depart from my law, left or right, trust me, be strong, be courageous, go and take the land, I've given it to you. And he repeats it over and over again. And Joshua, when it's all said and done, he gets up and he goes, in three days, we are crossing that river and we are beginning this journey. He gets up. So he didn't look at those things, but he clung to the promises of God, he trusted the Lord, and then he led the nation. Now, when you and I, we look at ourselves, we see all the reasons why 2 Peter chapter 1 isn't true for me. But we're not supposed to look at that. We're supposed to look at what Christ has done for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now that phrase, in Christ, it's the idea that when we get saved, we are removed from that land of bondage and we are translated to the kingdom of his marvelous light. We are now in Christ. We are now in the family of God. We've been baptized into the body of Christ. We are in Christ. That's our identity. That's who we are. And so he has blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in Christ, who's in the heavenly, seated at the right hand of the Father. The work is done. Everything that needs to be accomplished, it's done. And we have these blessings now that he's about to list through verses four through 14 because of the fact that we're in Christ. He starts off by saying, as courting as he has chosen us in Kim before the foundation of the world. Think about that for just a minute. Like I went to, um, I don't think they do recess anymore. Maybe they do. I think it's mostly just organized class. When I went to school, they had recess, which was basically disorganized nothing, right? And, and so, you know, the, you know the, the, you'd, everybody kind of did their little thing. And so I was sports guy. And so frequently, if it was kickball, we did kickball, football, football, bat, whatever it was, that's where I was during recess. And what normally happened? Well, there were two captains, and then everybody, they started picking players on their team, right? Now, thankfully, I was athletic, so I usually wasn't the last person picked, but I always felt bad for the last couple people picked because nobody wanted them on their team because they were going to mess it up. Do you know that God picked you? Now, he didn't pick you because of any intrinsic value because you'd help his team. He picked you because he set his love upon you. Do you know what an awesome thing to know (laughs) that God picked me? I wouldn't have picked me. I I wouldn't have looked at my resume and said, yeah, he can help the team. But God picked me, and he picked you. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, and here it is, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In his great love, he picked us that we would finish Jesus, it says, he's going to present us faultless. I think it's Jude who says he's going to present us faultless before his throne with great joy. That's what this is speaking of. He picked us before the foundation of the world, and he said, I'm going to finish what I start. You're going to make it. He which has begun a good work in you, Philippians says, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's a promise from God. He's going to finish what he starts because he loves you. He picked you. He's not going to leave you by the wayside. So when the devil comes to you and says, no, you're not going to make it, you'll fail at this, you say, well, you didn't pick me. So if you don't want me, that's fine. I don't want to be on your team. Next, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestinated us unto himself. And what did he predestinate us to? The adoption of sons. It's it's interesting because... I have adopted two children. Me and Beverly have adopted two children. And we're kind of in this weird limbo status right now where we are not officially their parents yet because it's, we can't have to wait till the judge tells us we can do that. But they are in our home and they call us mom and dad and we treat them like our kids and because that's how we view it. But it's, it's not official yet in that sense all the paperwork's not done. They don't have my name, my last name yet. I, I can't officially say that's the way it is yet. And so it is kind of a, a limbo, you know, thing here. But see, he predestinated us that we would get to that place where the judge stamps the paperwork and my name is his kid. I'm his kid, a joint heir with Christ. Can you think of that? I mean, I'm his kid now. That's how he views me. That's how he treats me. But the idea of predestination is the, the fact is there's not going to be anything in the process where it goes, you're kind of rough. I don't think I really want you anymore you got too many issues, Will. I I, I don't want you in the family. You create too many problems for the family. I don't want you. There's at no point in that process he has predestinated us to the adoption of sons because that's what pleases him. He wants you to finish. He's your biggest cheerleader. He's your biggest helper. He's going to see you through to the very end. So when the enemy tells you and says, you're just going to blow it again, you, you look at him and you just say, You can say everything you want. All I know is I'm getting his name when this is done. I'm going to be a king's kid. So say what you want. To the praise of the glory of his grace, verse 6, where he has made us accepted in the beloved. I think some of us fight this idea of wanting to be accepted because we just were going to be the rebel or whatever. But I don't know anybody who doesn't like being loved. And the Bible says that through Christ, in the beloved, that's who that is, Jesus, we've been accepted. In whom, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. You've been bought from slavery and given freedom. You have the forgiveness of sins. All your sins have been washed away. And it's according to the riches of his grace. You know, how, how much grace do you think God has? It doesn't run out. This forgiveness abounds towards you. But he's also abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. You know, the enemy might say, no, no, you'll never be able to handle this. You don't know how to do anything like this. You can't be a good parent. You can't conquer lust. You'll never get over anxiety. You'll never be happy. You'll never be content. You don't even know the first thing about living that way. And he might bring up your past. He might bring up failures. He might bring up your upbringing. He might bring up all sorts of things. But the reality is, God has abounded towards us in all wisdom and understanding He's going to give us what we need to succeed. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. You understand that you're, you're just part of a long list of other people who've already made it, Right? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I think it's 12 actually, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You realize that other people have made it. Why wouldn't you make it? Oh, you think they're more righteous than you? Holier than you? Read that chapter 11. Look at all of them in there. Oh, we laud the great faith of Abraham. Have you ever read about the failures of Abraham? We read about the great faith of Moses. Yes, he's also a murderer. You go through that whole list, Jacob, Isaac, you name it. They've all got shortcomings. Sarah, all got shortcomings, maybe with the exception of Enoch. They made it. If you just keep, you get up and you get in the fight, you're going to make it too. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Think about that for a minute. People are gonna look at you someday and go, God is so good. They're gonna, like when you're in heaven and you're telling your story to somebody, they're gonna go, God is so good. Look at what he did in your life. That is your destiny. That's what you've been predestinated to. Like people when we talk about predestination, people freak out and they're like, "Oh, you know, uh, well, God's picking people and not picking people, whatever it has nothing to do with that. That's not what predestination is about. Predestination is a blessing to us. It's so that we can understand where He's taking us. He's taking us to that full adoption. He's taking us to that place where our lives are praise, our praise, to His glory. That's your destiny. That's your end. That's where you're headed. Not failure. Not missing out. Not all the lies that the enemy tells you. In whom, verse 13, you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The beautiful thing about that, think think about that for just a minute. You have God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living inside of you. Right? That's, that's amazing when you think about it, that God would condescend and he would live inside me. I mean, there are times when it's painfully clear that he's uncomfortable <laughs> because of what I'm doing or the attitude I have. And he's trying to change me because why? God is light and in him is no darkness. And so he's trying to change me, make me more like Christ. But the reality is, the fact that he's there, he who is light and in him is no darkness, means guess what? That darkness is going to be leaving you, and you're going to be moving closer and make, becoming more like him each and every day. You're going on to victory because he already won the victory. which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Until the day that he brings you home, that which he purchased, he brings it home and he presents it faultless before his father's throne with great joy. That is your destiny. Isn't that awesome? That's what Christ did for you and I. That's what our future is. That's what our present is. That's where we are in Christ. Now, When we head back to Joshua, and here we are just at the very beginning, We, as we go through this book, we are going to take an exciting and challenging journey to victory through it. But none of the other principles that we're going to talk about, being strong, being courageous, being in the Word, trusting God when you face mighty walls, trusting God when you face giants, trusting God when there's failure around you, all the various things, trusting God when you've been deceived, all the things that we're going to go through here in the book of Joshua that we're going to learn to how that blueprint to victory All of those things won't matter at all that we learn if we never arise, if we never get up and get into the battle, if we never decide to believe that God's promise is true and anyone else who says otherwise is a liar. If we don't make that first step, everything we learn in this book won't matter. So my exhortation to you tonight is let's start this journey off together in a way that sets us up for success. We're beginning this journey through this book. Let's start it off the right way. So I ask you tonight, what place have you given up on victory in your life? What place have you ceded to the enemy just because you said, I know it's never gonna happen? Listen, it's time to hope anew, to let God pick up your chin. He says he's the glory in the lift of our head, to let God pick up your chin and then to take his outstretched hand as he leads you from the desert toward the enemy. It's time to get up and into the battle. Whatever it is, that area that you've given up on, will you trust him tonight? Let's pray. Lord, we so need this. I know if no one else does, I need this in my life, Lord, because you have promised us that we can escape the corruption that's in this world. We can, be our, we can live a life that's neither barren nor fruitful as we get to know you better. That is the high and lofty promise you've given to us. In the same way that you said to Joshua, every place that you put your foot, it's yours. I've given it to you. So Lord, what place have we said, I can't take that hill. I I can't put my foot there. There's no way I'll win. There's no way I'll experience victory. I know who I am. Lord, what area is that, that that we've just kind of given up the fight? Lord, oh, Lord, maybe we've just kind of given up the fight in everything. Whatever it may be tonight, Lord, as you put your finger on it, Lord, our commitment to you is this. We will get up and we're going to cross the Jordan and we're going to head toward Jericho. And no, Lord, we have no clue how those walls are coming down. We have no clue how we're going to defeat that army. But Lord, we know that you're leading us onto victory because you already won. Lord, will you bless every dear saint right now who's taking that area, Lord, that there's a lot of pain because they know their own past failures. They know it, it hurts to hope again because they don't want to fail again. Will you just hold them in your arms, or will you comfort them now and remind them that you are the God who never fails? And that's so, as they move forward and they fall down, and they keep getting back up and keep giving you every day, every step with that, area will you remind them Lord that you will bring them victory and we thank you for everything you've done for us on the cross that secures this for us we want to not be like Red Path said those who miss out and just get satisfied with the desert Christian life we want to experience abundant life the promised land life we want to labor to enter into that rest and not fall after the same example of unbelief Lord, will you take this book and change our lives? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: God wants each of us to walk into the fullness of the promises he has given us. The first step is always to get up and obey the clear commands that are laid out before us. God longs to bless us when we step out in faith according to his leading and direction. But it will take courage and being convinced that God is who he says he is. For only then will there be a willingness to obey. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando.